Are Yes, we are. I think we are. Um, I'm going to start with uh, St. George. This is the Machination Log for September 6th, 2016, featuring David Paddock, Nicole Paddock, and Lou Wiedemann at the Nile Ethiopian Restaurant in Central Florida for Cultural Outreach Chapter 2. So, um, welcome to the Ethiopian Restaurant. We are at the Nile Ethiopian Restaurant in I Drive, It's Orlando. a place in Orlando that I know I never come to. Yes. An area of Orlando. Yes, an area of Orlando. This is the tourist area of Orlando. There isn't much need for residents of Orlando to make it down here too often. No, not much. Unless you're into really bad food and terrible tchotchkes and souvenirs. We don't actually even go out to eat very much unless it's to this particular restaurant. I blame Orlando for that as well. <laughs> it's really a geographical issue. Florida, really. Yeah. It's still a geographical issue. But I was super stoked to find this place actually existed when it opened here. Because for the 10 years I've been living in Orlando, I've been looking for an Ethiopian restaurant. Well, we found this one a few years ago, but not many. Oh, well, every time he took me out of town, he would take me to all his favorite Ethiopian restaurants because I wasn't aware that there was type food. <laughs> it was called Ethiopian food until he <laughs> took me to New York. <laughs> oh, yeah. Got one in New York. Got your one. favorite one was Muscaram. Muscaram, that's right, on 47th Street. And then we, we ate Ethiopian in Princeton. Yep. And we ate Ethiopian in D.C. In New Haven, I believe. Yeah. I took you to Lalibela. Is it? It's just a staple of the region that you can actually get. No, I mean, it, or is it? It's just a. The Northeast just has more food options. It's just a general. Well, Florida has, has terrible food options in general. Of course. Like, period. You know, so I think that's one of the reasons why it's not here. Because if you go to New York City, there's five or six of them. You know, um, and it's. I don't think it's like a regional thing. This is like linked. I don't think they're up there because it's the Northeast. <laughs> I think it's just because it's not Florida. Okay. <laughs> but um, I think there was one in. Seattle. I don't know if we went. We didn't eat there. Oh, we but we did do Ethiopian in Vancouver. It was the only edible food we had in that white fucking country. <laughs> <laughs> so, the guy yes. came out. He, it was great because I think the waiter was also the guy cooking the food. And he came out. He was very worried that the food would be too spicy, but it was very good. Yes, but I was. think maybe for his usual clientele, the food would be a little spicy. Probably. And that's not uncommon. There used to be a place in Hartford that um, the, the, it would take about an hour to get your food because he cooked it right after you ordered it. And <laughs> it that's why crazy. we didn't go in Seattle, because Stacy said all the Ethiopian places in Seattle were a similar setup where the guy takes your order and then goes back and cooks the food. So it's, it takes forever, basically, just for your but food But it's to delicious come out. and fresh. <laughs> and it is interesting to see how different, now that I've been to so many of them, how different restaurants do similar dishes differently, you know what I mean? They all have their take on it. And it's fun because it's not a food that's been Americanized at all. Like, I'm sure there's something to the food they bring here, but... Well, it's specific in that this would be like the food like rich people would eat. Like, it's Yeah, not, the kings you know, and queens were yeah, fed like this, these oh, recipes, okay. you know? It's still higher end food for like right. Ethiopian culture. It's just not as greasy. Yeah. <laughs> But it sure is delicious. I don't know, maybe cultural outreach just gets to be my food 
<laughs> Your food outreach? Yeah, it's just food outreach. <laughs> it's a good way to experience other cultures. You walk into a mini version of that culture. So evidently, I mean, that's supposed to be one of the things food's all about. Yeah. Well, evidently, there's a guy from like Uganda that breeds ducks in Kissimmee, and you can go pick a duck out, and he will process it for you to bring home. That's I am. Exciting. I sort of want to do that as a cultural outreach at one point. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Got a goblet of something red. Yeah. Nicole, do you happen to know what you ordered? No, um, because I don't drink anymore, I get very drunk off one glass of wine, and I do like the way wine tastes, so I just kind of pick stuff at random, and Excellent. usually I'm drunk enough by the end of it that it doesn't matter. All right, so this is our first taste Cheers. of house red. Cheers. Who ordered the lager? A lager. <laughs> Tastes like alcoholic grapes. Yeah, I've got a, <laughs> I've got a pretty unrefined palate when it comes to alcohol of all kinds. So uh, I'm gonna call that wine. Yeah. So. so this is gonna be exciting. So when they bring their food out, it's just gonna be on a huge plate, and you just eat it with the bread that it's served on. That sounds cool. Yes. Unleavened sort of crepe-like pancake. Thing. If you notice, there's no silverware on this table. There is not. In fact, there's only one napkin. <laughs> And it's and it looks decorative. Oh, never mind. That is my napkin. My bad. I don't know if this is traditional Ethiopian music or not. It sounds a little electronic. I'm not sure. You'd be surprised what kind of music they have out there nowadays. <laughs> there are some people dancing on the monitor back there, though. That is. Um, all right. That that's just Indian. <laughs> Yeah, that's really Bollywood. They're very close, though, like East Eastern African type of stuff in India. You know, a lot of curries, a lot of, you know, dancing. I guess they do. They've got, like, the waterway thing well, and, and, well, way back in geological history, they were a lot closer together. So, you know, like... I guess that, too. Like, Madagascar is more like a piece, a chunk of India than it is a chunk of Africa. Well, it so fits into Africa pretty nicely, but it but took it, on, it, yeah. it, it came off like a chunk of like almost the India area because everything was closer. So there is like more similarities than you would expect. Yes, <laughs> that's very true. That's a pretty long span of time. That's very true. Well, that and shit's been evolving there since then. So you know. No kidding. You know that I don't drink. I decided to I'll enjoy a beer every now and again. Um. So I went out, test, not testing them, but I'm trying to figure out which type of beer I like now. I'm trying to discern the, t the differences between the types. And I've come to realize that, man, people are really snobby about getting drunk these days. Yeah. This craft brew thing is, is everywhere. It's out of control. It's out of control. It's like you can just draw a cartoon on a box and call it a microbrew. It's crazy. So, I mean, that's the way it used to was. You got all these people printing out labels for their they're, they're, they're one keg batch of beer now. Mitchell. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's one of those. Oh, is Mitchell doing this? Oh yeah, no, Mitchell's Mitchell's yeah. into all of these. He crafts. did a very in-depth podcast on beer. Like he he broke down the whole history of beer. I was pretty impressed. Yeah, it was, it was a good one. Wow, <laughs> I like that. One. I was willing to tolerate talking about craft beer on my podcast, but I broke. I mean, I can get down with that if, if we had like legal weed.
And you if don't we go out to eat much, do you? No. no okay. No. Yeah. I yeah no I get I get some. Form you look stunned of, just by the question. I mean I don't I've essentially like earmarked I've earmarked what equates to about four subs a month okay. just in the event that I happen to be out somewhere and can't be bothered to get food somewhere and I have two um, larger like restaurant style. Allowances a like that's that's what I anticipate. Like it's not an allowance, but it's just I assume because okay. that's about what it works out to. It's every other week. Oh, okay. So, so speaking of hoity-toity eating, so that Mexican Chinese restaurant we went to at the Cosmopolitan last year in yeah. uh, Vegas. I think since then they've been on the Food Network because I took Jacob and Patrick there because I wanted to eat there again. And uh, we got like this whole spiel like when we sat down at the table about, did you see us in our episode of blah, 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 blah? And then we got like a really expensive overpriced bowl of fried rice that had 20 ingredients in it supposedly. That's too many. And, um, and I got some duck tongue tacos. There you go. That, those actually sounded good when you described them They were them good. To me. They were good. How large are duck tongues? That's what we asked. Yeah, that's yeah. what we asked. We're like, is this really duck tongue? Do you guys really have like a large order of like duck tongues just show up? Because they can't be very big. He I said imagine that they have the consistency of like clams. Well, they were fries. So yeah. yeah, they tasted like a fried clam. That's what I imagine. Yeah. And I love me some fried clams. I haven't had them in many, many I years. I would like to but... try doing or ordering or maybe something like that. Yeah, we can work on that soon. Put that on the to-do list. You see, Lou and I have just been exploring stranger meats at home. So I've been, my, the cuts of meat I've been working with have been getting weirder, more. Well, it's difficult abstract. to get adventurous in Florida when it comes to food. I mean, we have the Darden restaurants. You know, yeah. people can't see my expression on my face, the but ho-hum. <laughs> And then, you know, you don't have much else. And then you have a bunch of stupid little Mexican But there's, it's, there's not like this. there's like a good butcher shop where you can get like... That's what I mean. Know. There's not there's not good restaurants, A, and then B, it's hard to find really good quality ingredients for good food. You know? I was so excited that the Publix by your house had whole duck. It did. Roasted a whole duck Thursday night. And it was tasty, let me tell you. We enjoyed it, the dog enjoyed it, the cat enjoyed it. Oh yeah, the dog actually went out to the compost heap to keep attacking the bones that we threw out there. She was obsessed. As our, 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 our downsizing continues at home, our next step was to make our own cat food. Oh yeah, so whole, ground, whole ground rabbit. Yeah, because <laughs> that's where all of the, 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 the nutrients are. You have to eat brain, all the organs to the get organs. all the vitamins. Yeah. Interesting. And that's why snakes can survive on frozen rats indefinitely, because they can consume the entire animal. Bones, organs, everything. So they get all of their you know, vitamins and nutrients that way. I kind guess if you're carnivore, you gotta... Well, this is better living through steak has taught me to expand my horizons in meat eating. Yes. It's, it's been fun. I'm still squeamish about it too. I had like a look of disgust that Lou thought was comical while preparing that duck. It just seems unnecessary. That's <laughs> just the level. I mean, it's not unnecessary in today's world, maybe. But, you know, but like at if one you, point if you in time, killed an animal, you would eat all parts of it, I suppose. Yeah, and other cultures do. You know? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's not uncommon for like me to grow up. 
Yeah. For me to grow up eating like, you know, pig ears. And well, your mom feet. killed a, killed the pig and you guys ate, yeah. well, like on the farm they would anyways, that she grew up eating all the parts of the pig. Well, I mean, why waste it? <laughs> and it's all, it's all different types of vitamins and nutrients in those parts. So, you know, they, 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 re they received the full complement of vitamins. And David's just eating two pounds of vegetables a day to yeah, that. David eats out of function. <laughs> you know, necessity, a utilitarian approach. It's not necessarily fun for you, is it? No, it's fine. I total. I, I mean, I don't know if you were there when I was explaining. I eat, I, I'm off it for the weekend, but like during the week, I don't, I just fast until about 5 p.m. and then I pick 12 things out of the 20 things in my refrigerator and I have a pan and a saucepan and an electric kettle and I have whatever I can make in 20 minutes. I generate about 1,500 calories of food and I just eat all of that over the course of 45 minutes. Um, and when you're talking about vegetables, that's a lot of food. Uh -huh. um, yeah, so it doesn't actually at some point matter. The fact that the fact that I haven't eaten anything all day means that my tongue hasn't been bombarded by nonsense, which means that everything tastes better anyway. But then on top of that, getting to just like eat as much food as I want to eat because you can't physically eat enough lettuce to make yourself fat um, is very satisfying. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like once a day. It's just... I know, yeah. I was... So is this I, a I certain was... program you're following, or...? No, it... it's just, it's an amalgam of different things about just the way that... I mean, it, it takes from Joel Furman's diet, which yeah. is very similar to the... It's, it has all of the similarities that most long-term diets have. It's, it's very low on wheat, sugar, salt, and um, the other thing, just like four of them. But it's like, it's just... It vegetable doesn't have that oil. stuff. Yeah, but in vegetable oil. Um, it doesn't do that stuff. And then the fasting, the fasting part is just from, it's from the relatively basic evolutionary science that we didn't eat all the time. Mm -hmm. We didn't used to do that. Like you're, the reason the human liver is enormous is because it's designed to keep your body regulated for a long period of time. And if you're eating correctly, it doesn't even bother you to like I I go 16 hours without food every day and it doesn't it doesn't bother me at all. I just like I'll get like two, one or two hunger pangs and be like, oh man, I really want something I really shouldn't eat, and it goes away after five minutes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like it's not. And half of it is mental too. So you, if you're able to mentally overcome it, then oh, it's it's physical. all mental. Yeah. I mean, I I eat well enough to survive on what I eat. Like yeah. I, I eat enough calories, and it is more than good enough for me. I'll survive. I don't need anything. My body is like craving. I'm sure, many time. people have survived on less. It's yes, <laughs> much very much so. The difference between hunger and craving is important, and it's worth fighting on. Interesting though. Yep. I mean, I feel way better. The other thing is part of the reason that fasting is good is that, generally speaking, you are least focused when your body's digesting food because it's having to attend to digesting, like it's activating a massive amount of your body that otherwise it doesn't deal with. So if you need to like pay attention to something or you need to learn or do, you're almost always better off doing that way after you eat. 
when your stomach is shut all the way off. Yep. Um, so it helps with that too, because I don't eat from the morning until the evening, and in the evening, from five until I go to bed, I'm done with the day, so I don't really care what happens from there on out. Mm -hmm. And that's how I coordinate my day. I like it. I, I'm going to do it for as long for as I can tolerate it. It's easy to lapse, is the problem. Well, yeah. I mean, you have a yeah. lot of window there for you to eat something when you yeah. normally don't. Or to have someone invite me to eat, and then I have to adjust accordingly and not eat. Which, <laughs> I mean, I could do, but I'm not going to. Who is here? <laughs> This is his first sign. I can't tell. What makes She knows the look. Yes. Lamb with cabbage, mocha, chicken, beef, beef spicy, spinach pea, carrot. Wonderful. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Oh yeah. Food has arrived. So you want to take take one of these? This won't make much sense because this isn't a video podcast, but... Is this a pocket for food? No, you no, just, no, it's, you, you it's like a fruit roll-up or a bread be, roll-up. It becomes a shovel for food. Oh, it's a shovel, then it, okay. Then you just rip a piece off, all right? Flop it down in your food of choice and pick up a couple pieces all right. and ingest. So it's hands-on taco. Mm-hmm. It's like mainline fajitas. Absolutely. I like how hands-on it is. That's what makes the dining experience fun. I like how spongy this bread is. It's amazing. I, I, this bread is a is a culinary feat. I have tried many times and failed because it, it requires like four days of letting flour sit around and ferment into some sort of bubbling cauldron of goo, and I've never mastered it. But it's like a sourdough. Yeah. So it's delicious. Yeah, it's a spongy sourdough. So describe to the um, the people who are listening listening to us masticate our food. <laughs> um, I just put a yellow thing. I don't actually know what it is. It's lentils. This it's lentils? Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah, there's lamb, cabbage, chicken, that beef, it out. spicy beef, lentils, and collards. Collardos. And, um, suggestion, if I may, is pick smaller pieces when you pick it up, because this stuff is more filling than the actual food. <laughs> what do you think so far? Oh, it's very good. I would describe any individual thing, but folks at home are probably familiar with the way that food gets. There's a reason why Anthony Bourdain goes to all these places and then talks to the people and goes in the back. It's because describing food is really kind of a waste it's, of time. Yeah. Um, no, this is a very, this is definitely a good way to do this, especially if you just like have a bunch of people. Yeah. Like this is a very virtually conversational way to eat. Because everybody's attending to the same bowl of food. Less yeah. dishes, you don't too. like. Yeah, you don't keep to yourself. Well, it's also, I think it's, it's it embodies what many people appreciate about food where it's supposed to be a place of, of coming together, yeah. common ground, breaking bread, all of these, you know, things that we attribute to food and eating and the symbolism that it has. No, it, I totally buy that. Yeah, this 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 definitely like embodies all of that. And, you know, I mean here we are just 
picking at food with our fingers <laughs> in the middle of it, you know. Out of one big plate. There's no other restaurant really, or no other cuisine in America that you really well, I mean, can like, do that. Like, even like, you know, like classic family style Chinese stuff, which, you know, you don't really get at restaurants, but still like all the food's there and then you put it on your plate and eat it. It's, yeah. not, like, it's not like everyone's sharing off the same plate. Oh yeah, well there's a lot of cultures that have the, yeah. you know, here's the lazy Susan in the middle of the table, but it's a little bit more intimate than that. Oh well yeah, but because that's, that's, I mean it's at least slightly communal in the sense that everybody's pulling from the same bowls, but you then put it on your own plate and you attend to your own plate. Mm-hmm. There's like legitimately foods. use that phrase. There's that three foods that I'll sit around and basically eat my weight in. This is one of them. Amen. The other one is Thai curry, and the last one is um, nachos. <laughs> I will try to eat my weight in nachos. Nachos. Yeah. She's done it. I can... It's really hard to not just eat more nachos. Like there's, always, there's always room for more nachos. One more of these and then I'm tearing up this bowl. <laughs> it's been like stewing and all the stuff. That's why it's so good. Yeah. The bottom part's the best. What's great about Ethiopian food is all of them. The dishes are so aromatic. The oils and the spices they use really translate. So when the juices get into for, for the people who are listening and not seeing this, this, this center dish is one giant pancake of injera bread, look it up, and um, with all of the different combo meal thing on it. And you're supposed to eat the bottom once you reach it. The bottom's the best part because it has all of the flavor infused into it. It's absolutely delicious. Sometimes it's fun to get takeout. And that way you can pick up other foods at home with injera bread. Like, I'll bring some home sometimes, and then uh, the next morning I'll, I'll make eggs and pick it up with injera bread, and I'll start picking up other normal foods in my life with injera the following day. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> so the other thing that's you know very specific to Ethiopian dining is the fact that coffee you know, coffee is from Ethiopia, so they do the whole coffee ceremony. Where they roast the beans up there, and they like the incense, and they bring this huge traditional tray out, and they serve you little tiny espresso shots of coffee. And you have to order it after dinner, because Ryan one time tried ordering it prior to dinner when he was a little tired, and he got a lot of very strange looks from the waitress. <laughs> it's really an after-dinner ceremony. Yeah. They were sort of taken back by the yeah, before like, dinner request. She's like, "You want coffee now?" Like it was throwing up. Her, it was throwing off her whole vibe. In Ryan's defense, I don't think he realized what cer- what the, what type of ceremony he was in store for <laughs> to receive said coffee. How rad the coffee is. Well, it wasn't how rad it is, but just the ceremony behind it. They they roast them in front of you and mm. bring out this big tray with. Anyway, it's a ceremony. <laughs> so, in trying to do Ethiopian food at home, there are two cookbooks. One is exclusively on how to make injera, and the other one has recipes that don't really work. 
and has been translated and is really rough to get through. So it sounds like they've been translated two or three times by the time you it was actually printed. Or it sounds like they barely knew how to put together a recipe because it was like something. It's like, well, my mom has cooked, you know, cooked this in her mm -hmm. family and her family before this, so they're trying to figure out how to like translate it into a recipe format. In the beginning, they, so. You can edit out all the uh, belches and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the food experience. It is. In the beer experience as well. Yeah. So on. So the closest I can get to Ethiopian at home is basically making a, a meat curry with berber seasoning. So you get it close to the kwat, which was the spicier beef. Oh, okay. But that's about as about close it. as I've been able to come. <laughs> it's it's not easy to replicate in your kitchen because usually that's my fallback is like, oh, I can make it at home. This is like the one thing I have tried and I can't come anywhere close to making this at home. <laughs> and the injera is a very integral part of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, the rest of this is still to some degree ingredients. The spices are good, but the bread is, awesome. is the thing here. It's a process. Like I'll take, I'll take a piece. David, you want to split this last piece of injera so I we can scoop up the last of the injera? Here. Total catastrophe. <laughs> there you go. So stretchy. <laughs> this bread isn't like any other starch of... Like, there's nothing obvious to compare this to. This is a... Teff is a, a very high-protein, non-gluten flour um, that intrinsically has a bit of a nutty flavor. I have bought the flour individually and used it for stuff. Um, it does have, it does have a, a distinctive taste like that I've never... that's, that's very specific. No, I... Yeah, unless you have a specific affinity for just bread specifically, this is oh, it's better sourdough bread. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's a sourdough in that it, this, is, this is why making it has been so hard. To make it, technically, you're supposed to leave, like, your water and your flour outside so that it attracts natural yeasts, <laughs> which is how you get sourdough. The problem is in Florida, our air isn't filled so much with yeast as it is with mold so most of the time it just really goes south really quick <laughs> I'm not sure what I would pick for my favorite thing on that plate uh, my least favorite thing by far was the lettuce and tomato <laughs> And as someone who is normally a fan of lettuce and tomato, it's, uh, it's not necessarily damning with faint praise or whatever the opposite of that expression is. So. It just pales in comparison to the rest of the stuff. Well, there was something about it. It was like, it was... It tastes like Olive Garden-y. It's got kind of like a little bit of Italian dressing on it. Yeah, it's... It's not... It doesn't fit the rest of the flow. No, it does not. Go for it, man. All right. Go for it. David is finishing the last bite. Which I'm taking as a sign of success that 
showed him a quality. Cultural experience success. Yes. We've reached out and we were successful. And this is... No, it was very good. This is, by the way, what it usually looks like at the end of the Ethiopian meal. I would hope so. I have a little too much sour on my tongue overall, but other than that, it's pretty much... That's... It's worth the trip out here. For yeah. Me. Like, it's, it's pretty much the only restaurant we go out to eat at. <laughs> yeah. And now you can add this into your monthly rotation of... Uh, of the only places worth going out worth to going in to. Orlando to eat at. Or do. Well, I mean, I only... I mean, it's not like I get a hankering to go somewhere. The only reason I have those, like, allocations to go to restaurants is because occasionally I have friends that Yeah, at like, people invite you, yeah. And I might yeah. as well eat while I'm there. Yeah. And mom. Mom likes to go out to lunch. She does. Always. She's always looking for an excuse to, like, squeeze it in. <laughs> okay, I just thought of... You know why these videos aren't very Bollywood? Because there's only one person per scene. Have you ever watched a Bollywood thing? Like, India has a lot of people. So every single dance scene or dance number, I mean, there's there's hundreds of people oh, yeah. going on at all. You know, you got your main people, you got your backup dancers, and then you have like 500 other people that just showed up and started dancing because they heard music. What's the movie? I'm not. I'm gonna blank on the name of the, the Indian movie that I've seen. Sholay. There we go, Cholet. There's a, there's a scene where it's essentially just a small town. The entire, but the entire town is yeah. there. That's what's important. Like the, they're all in like the general area where I assume the dancing happens. So yeah, that's what basis. I mean. It's like they hear music and the whole town just comes yeah, out. Like I said, I've only seen one additional Bollywood film on top of Cholet. And it seems to be, I'm going to make a brash assumption that this is just the case across the board. It's, what's great about it is that Indian, Indian culture, like at least as far as Bollywood's concerned, it's the kind of thing that if you were going to try to be a racist asshole depicting India, that's exactly how the Indians portray themselves. Portray themselves. <laughs> like there's no room for improvement on their own like exoticism. You, could, you couldn't make them look more ridiculous, yeah. is what you're saying. Like, they already do it. They fully embraced it. Well, you haven't seen Tibet, because, like, Sholay is, what, I guess, what the best Bollywood film ever made, like the best Indian yeah, it's, film. it's one of their then, like, like recognized masterpieces. And then Debang is like their biggest box office grossing, like biggest action movie ever made. So I figure between those two, I have all the information I need about Bollywood film. You got the pop and the art. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, if we can have some coffee, please. Sure. Thank you. All of you? Yeah, we'll do three. Uh, so we're sitting here in our post-meal high. <laughs> I'm pretty full. The endorphins are Yeah, the kicking. endorphins are going. They're kicking. It looks like the rain has not stopped, so the ride home should be equally as treacherous. No, it doesn't look too bad out there. It's still coming down. Yeah. Oh. Live Florida, folks. Different vantage points. You gotta look by the light. 
Yeah. I see it now. Yeah. I can't see it from this window, but from that window, I definitely see it. There you go. There's an old video, or there's an old Hollywood factoid that they used milk when they needed rain because it wouldn't show up on I've, I've heard this. I, I refuse to believe that they couldn't find something less gross to use than milk. I want to say no just because, like, it's like the Hollywood system, so you've got to be as, like, retarded about everything and Maybe they just added not milk to the water to make it slightly cloudy. Th that's the thing. Like, you'd think you would just add something that's not Yeah, yeah that, that whole set must have been disgusting the by the end of yeah. the day. Like, when the sun starts coming up, yeah, all the curdled milk horrible. Like, I doubt that that happened in every set. If that's the case. No, it was only when they needed like rain in the night so that you could see the rain like visually for the effects. Would, like ruin all the clothes. Like that would just be weird. That's just I mean, I know. Use of, well, I know they, they. It's a poor. Like I know that Hollywood's notorious for you know just using resources ridiculously <laughs> for shots, but. There's not nearly enough people in those videos for no. them to be Indian. Those look like the rolling green fields of Ethiopia. <laughs> yeah. so. Like I said, and they're, just, they're not densely populated with people. Because you know in India, there's you can't even find a rolling green field. Like, there's people everywhere. I love there's... I was looking this up. I forget what I was looking it up for. But the poverty, like, the, the international poverty line that everybody knows is like below $2 a day. Yeah. Like that's like that's the number. In India, their poverty line is $12 a month. <laughs> and even under their official state poverty line, only like 70% of their population qualifies as being above it. So, and that means that means being above poverty is making what $20 a month. Um, or thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> or twelve fifty. Yeah. Or twenty five. Yeah, that's that's what it takes. And they separate it between like urban and rural. And I think the rural number is actually lower than that. Yeah, probably. Having gone back and checked the official record, it turns out I did exaggerate a little bit. Um, in India, you are considered below the poverty line if you make less than twenty one dollars a month in cities, and less than fourteen if you live in a rural area. And combined, the poverty rate is somewhere around 21%. This brings it much closer to being in line with a country like the United States, where 15% of our population lives below our poverty line. Though I do feel it's probably important to point out that if India were to adopt our threshold for poverty, India's poverty rate would become 99.8%. People with the African money over there. That's crazy. India is insane. Yeah. It's a big place. A lot of ins, a lot of outs. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, British it just, colonialism. It seems gross. Like, like, Indian people are cool, but, like, I just, from everything I have read or seen about India... It and seems I unsanitary. And I feel, I feel safe going there. Like, I wouldn't be worried about violence too much, but, like, yeah, like, I, I just imagine everything smells bad and that, like, there's just feet in everywhere, like, just <laughs> gross. I believe. In literature classes, I had to read two books by female Indian authors, and that pretty much...
capped my thought of ever actually going to India. Were they nonfiction or fiction? They were fiction. Yeah, I'm, okay. No, some of the nonfiction I've seen is at like, I was like, well, maybe it'd be cool, which is why I say it's like it would be safe. I wouldn't be afraid to travel there. Yeah. But I don't think I'd want to. <laughs> it's a big place, a lot of, yeah. a lot, a lot of stuff there. Well, that's what I mean, yeah, if you're going to the Hindu Kush, that's a totally different experience than if you're going to, like, Mumbai. Or Calcutta yeah. or whatever, you know. I don't know how much my life factor would have to change for me to end up in India. You're not a traveler. I'm, like, I'm not a traveler. I, in theory, <laughs> I like the idea of traveling in application. Like, I can barely make it through going across, like, just our own country without freaking out and it being a huge process and being very stressful. I feel like an international trip would only expound those anxieties. I just can't, like, I haven't seen enough of the U.S. yet. <laughs> and, so and you're not trying. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> trying. And... Like, I could watch the Travel Channel. Like, I don't do... Like, my mom watches... Well, that's... I. Travel Channel. I have I have the fauna of Madagascar at my house. Like, what do I need to go there for? Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Anything else? I think that'll do it. That'll do it. For those at home, our uh, waiter just brought by a badass little wood table with. Some very live incense on it, and three little uh, little coffee saucers. And uh, I was totally worth the trip out. I don't know what this is. Is it sugar? sugar. sugar. I don't, okay, never mind. <laughs> it's just sugar. Yeah. It's not compliant to your diet. Well, I thought it was. I thought it was going to be cream of some kind. I have changed out. I've changed out my butter in my coffee in the morning. For now, I put just like powdered collagen in it straight out. As a creamer. As a creamer. Uh, okay. <laughs> what, it's protein which, and it's good for your bones? It's protein and it's good for your joints and tendons. Okay. Well, we do uh, the, which, we do which, the which health podcast? <laughs> Let's do that. I, this is what I'm working on on my own and my own personal oh, health, okay. you know, struggles. Alright. Well, we had this collagen stuff. That we did, and, and, and we have stuff that's just sitting around. Nicole trying well, to find Well, I bought it thinking using. it was gelatin, and then I discovered it doesn't make jello out of things, so I had to do something else with it. <laughs> so instead of doing the but creamer, collagen, you know, it's primal. It's good for yeah. it's good for joints. But we do the bulletproof, which is also emulsifying the coffee. Like you blend it so much where it gets emulsified. Yeah. And normally you would do the butter with that, but we just opted now not to do the butter and just put like two big heaping tablespoons My doctor of this. told me to stay away from dairy because evidently I have dangerously high cholesterol. It's not dangerously high. I don't know, that's like what she was acting as, like. She was acting like that about everything, but it was, you know, I know. Ryan had like 400 or something. No, when I asked him, he said his is like 170, which is well within the normal limits. No, before, I'm saying at one point in time. I think he may have been lying. Bragging about his cholesterol now. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, sure. well, that guy, you know, he puts salt on pizza crust and. Oh, Ryan's gonna, Ryan's gonna drop dead in about forty probably. 
<laughs> well, he does eat vegan most of the time now, except when he eats double bacon cheeseburgers on the road because... Or when he comes to our house. Yeah, I wasn't necessarily saying it was going to be as a result of food. Just a general. I mean, he owns a red Miata. He has pancreas problems. Yeah, he drinks with pancreatitis. That's probably more medical information than it should reveal on a podcast, but regardless... You can, you can edit this. If, if it occurs to me, if something strikes, then sure, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna waste energy right now. I have too much, I have too much occupational pressure right now to waste time on that. Cause I, I feel ya. Yeah, I need, I, because every, every hour I can use figuring out what the fuck I want to like do for a living right now will almost certainly pay off in a way that I don't know that dating will pay off? Well, it depends on what you want. Like, you know, I, I never had an answer to that question. I probably never will. But I knew that I always, you know, wanted a relationship. So I spent most of my energy in life working towards that. And now I have that right. down pretty good, you know. So I just panic and don't get anywhere with everything else. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to do that regardless. But yeah, the, exactly. So I might as well work on the one aspect I could improve. <laughs> I say that with love. That's mostly true. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm at a point. I'm at a point where I can make, I can make professional strides a lot more reliably right now than relational ones. So you're also at an age where the brain works like that better. Where right now, like, you should be focused on your career. It sounds cheesy to say that. And it sounds cheesy for me to say that. Oh, I'm, I'm fully bought into that. I, I'm convinced of that. Yes. <laughs> because once you reach 40, you know, that drive for work... I mean, like, I I don't hate signing in for work every day. Like, I'm still okay your with it. Your job is stressful, though. It's very stressful. So I deal with it well. But it's, it's still a matter of, like, I really don't have that... Like, I'm not sitting there researching shit after work that pertains to my job. I'm not really interested in taking a bunch of classes and being certified in a hundred different things. Like, where in my 20s, that was definitely much more of a drive and a motivation to do that kind of stuff. But um, nowadays, it's it's more like I'm just happy that I have a skill set that I can apply and get a, you know, and, and keep a, a decent job with, but... You know, I'm not really looking to reach another level with it kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, the trick is, if to, to do both, the trick is really finding someone that understands that that mentality, you know? When, when I was much more occupationally driven, as it were, or career-minded, you know, N Nicole understood. I did a lot of work at home, I you know, day and night, all the time. She immersed herself in it too. We read the same management books or listened to the same management book. All of this shit, and, you know, it's it helps a great deal when someone's like all on board and you're like, let's do it. But um, if you don't find that other person who understands that perspective, then it's very then, difficult. Well, yeah, then you just have an obstacle you're constantly fighting with in your yep. life. And you know, I mean, relationships are awesome, but they can be incredibly unawesome and destructive as well. <laughs> oh, ab absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Especially when you want to control everything. It's, it's crazy.
the After Dinner Podcast. Yeah. Where we all talk shit after a glass yeah, of wine and a talk shit bottle about of beer. <laughs> it doesn't take much to get that going. Well, what's funny is, is these are the moments that no one, you know, can do some damage with this recording, right? These are, these are the moments that, like, no one really should hear. <laughs> but they're the moments that everyone needs to hear in a sort of Well, way. that's true, too, it, you know? Maybe, but it's also, it's also one of those weird things. It's something that I've tried to, it's something I've tried to talk about um, on the podcast, and I haven't decided, I haven't found a, an appropriate way to approach it, uh, is the, it, part of the reason why the First Amendment is such a relevant piece of legislation is that thought crime is a hell of a thing like you have if if you are not allowed to have an opinion in your head and then revise it based on the information around you the world gets fucked up really rapidly like the the idea it's it's the reason i get really annoyed when people um when people wait for someone to say the one thing that they expect, you know, there's like a lapse and someone says a thing they wouldn't normally say and they're like, I knew he thought like that. (laughs) I hate that because it suggests that that person is is beholden to just their innate thoughts, which means that you essentially disallow them from improving themselves. Like, there's... It's it's a very frustrating dynamic, and I'm not sure how to like explain what gets me about that. It's it's just very frustrating. Like the idea that um, who they it, it ties into actually more than anything. It ties into the idea that people are more honest when they're boozed up. Yep. People are just less inhibited. That's yeah. right. When they're boozed up, they're not being more truthful. Or you can argue that the you know less in- inhibitions are. Uh, allowing this person to be more truthful. But the thing is also like alcohol is an ambition like like lowerer. I it, it it also doesn't mean that like what they're spouting off in that state is necessarily true either. Or how they feel. Because people this is the other thing though, I think in general people give like the way they feel too much credence. Yeah. Like your your brain is is fucking with you. Like, yes. you don't have to buy into everything it's trying to sell you. Absolutely. But people can't, like, see that. It's why, like, people, you know, back on the relationship note, like, people who get, like, fucking, like, really jealous and, and insecure and stuff, it's like, they feel like they have to give all this credence to those thoughts where they'd be better off just telling themselves they're fucking, like, retarded and really just get over need it. to come up with a more constructive way to view things. In conclusion, Ethiopian food's pretty good. They got good bread. <laughs> they got a coffee thing. It's pretty cool. Recommend um, everyone to go. Everything's on a big plate. One out of one star. Would go again. Would go again. Have gone again. Will go again in the future. Have gone many times. It's by far my favorite eatery in Florida. Nicole Lou, thank you for the birthday gift and for being part of the Machination Log. Thank you. Our pleasure. This time it really was our pleasure. Yeah. Like all those other times. How do you turn this thing off? What? Oh, I can see it. I don't want to. 
snap. 